Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Thank you, Kim, for that. That was wonderful, wonderful. Our uh, children invited the kids on worship at this time. If you want to do that, or you can remain in here with us as we continue to worship and open up the scriptures together. Grab your Bible if you brought that. You can grab the actual Bible itself or a Bible app or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring one. If you don't have a Bible, remember, uh, you can take one of those pew Bibles home with you. That is a gift from us to you. Isaiah chapter 6 is our scripture reading for this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you would, stand with me at the reading of the Scriptures. Isaiah 6, verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar and with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Speedy God, you may be seated. If I said the word submit or submission, what feelings bubble up within you? Probably some negative associations, right? Some negative connotations to that that might even be a trigger word for some folks today. But I want us to think about this as a biblical concept Not just that, yeah, it's in the Bible. There's lots of things in the Bible. You could say polygamy is a biblical concept. But 
the idea that this is something that God wants for us. Children are to submit and obey their parents. The scriptures tell us that. We're called to submit and obey governing authorities. We're called to submit to the elders of the church. Husbands and wives are submit to one another. It's like mutual submission. It's in there, folks. And of course, we're told to submit to God. So what is this all about? Submit simply means to come under, to yield instead of resisting. That is at the heart of true submission. But of course, due to misuse and abuse, which we've all experienced in some form or fashion, and unfortunately, even in the church, we've seen this concept abused. And as we often do, if we're honest, there's a lot of reactions to the extremes today. Our small group was just talking about this on Friday night. Uh, Some of us have been taught to speak to God in a certain way, not really tell God how we're actually feeling. And I reminded them of a professor of mine who once said that Job, for instance, didn't actually start to live until he voiced his complaints to God. So authenticity is important, but I think it's also something we should be careful of that in reaction to maybe the fundamentalism that we've, some of us have experienced that didn't want us to be authentic, we had to talk a certain way to God, that one extreme today in reaction to that would simply say um, that this is all there is. My relationship with God ends in my authenticity. I'm ticked off. I don't like this. I'm done. But rather, we should tap in, because I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood that. And it's just an example of one extreme here. You know, but Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Um, you, you know, it's, it's uh, like Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. So that that bit of authenticity where we're expressing how we're not very happy, let's say, with God, is a temporary stopping place (laughs) to move on to real deepening of faith and even a mystical experience of Jesus. That's what I think the Lord wants. So I just use that as an example, like submission. You may find yourself this morning thinking, that's a trigger word. I want to react to that, that's bad, but actually I want you to consider whether or not, yes, you may have experienced that in an unhealthy way, but might there be a reaction here that has led you into the other ditch? That there's a road, there are ditches. At Grantham Church, we want to learn to stay on the road, amen? Amen. Okay. Let's be honest, uh, submission and surrender just isn't very American. <laughs> a perfect picture of this can be seen in the movie character Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Have you seen this movie? Folks, I've been using movies that are like 20, 30 years old. If you've not seen them by now, that's on you. It's your fault. <laughs> so I'm not going to spoil it here for you, but Lieutenant Dan was a lieutenant in the army in Vietnam, you know, and Forrest Gump served under him. and. Lieutenant Dan, all of his family members had died in the war and he wanted to die too. Instead, he gets his legs blown off and he doesn't die and he's very upset because Forrest Gump saves him. 
And uh, he continues to have a relationship with Forrest Gump after the, the war. And uh, Forrest Gump starts a shrimping boat business. And this is Lieutenant Dan who comes and starts to work for Forrest Gump. He's up on the mast of the ship. This is right before the storm comes. You remember that? You remember this scene? The waves are tossing the boat to and fro and it's crazy. You can barely even see him up on the mast and he's screaming out at God. <laughs> you recall that scene? He's like, is this the best you've got? Blankety blank blank. <laughs> Come on, it's you and me. I, you know, I think this, this picture, the, the, the storm coming and Lieutenant Dan screaming at God in defiance, fueled by all of his pent-up anger, it's, a sh it's time for a showdown, you and me, God. Obviously, Lieutenant Dan is not a picture of humble submission to God in the storms and challenges of life. And of course, we never even see that, that he ever yields, that he ever breaks from that hard-heartedness and angry that life has turned out the way that it has for him. And note that this sort of arrogance, this, this lack of humility, although we all take joy in watching this character, Gary Sinise is a, is a great actor, but failure to reflect on one's own sinfulness, a, a refusal to yield to a higher power with infinite wisdom, and also taking into account that the world is broken, things are not as they should be, and God doesn't want those things. Just look at Jesus. We see what Jesus wants. Jesus isn't the cause of storms. Jesus gets in our boat and he calms storms, right? In fact, the gospel's even used there in one episode where Jesus gets in the boat, the disciples are afraid. It says he rebukes the storm. The same word that's used there is the word that's used when Jesus cast out demons. And I'm not saying there's a demon or the devil behind every storm or hurricane, but the point is, if you want to associate it to any kind of higher power or things that are bad like that, don't be pointing the finger at God. It could actually be the other way around. But again, this, this sort of arrogance, this lack of humility, a, a failure to reflect on one's own self and to be self-aware and one's own sinfulness, a refusal to yield to a higher power with infinite wisdom, not only exacerbates our pain, but it also cuts us off from experiencing the true love, majesty, and holiness of God that changes us for the better. You can probably think of a few biblical characters like this. Biblical characters who were reluctant or flat out didn't say yes and submit to God, didn't submit to his will, to his wisdom, or to his ways. Frankly, weren't concerned about that at all. For example, people like Cain, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Remember, Cain killed Abel. Or about Esau, remember the hairy guy who didn't offer up a good sacrifice. God didn't accept it. He got angry. And, if, and his, he led his whole people, his whole tribe, became a whole nation to not follow the Lord. King Saul, you know, the very first king of Israel, that didn't work out so well because he couldn't submit to the ways of the Lord. Jonah, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard of that story. Jonah gets a call from God. He says, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to those terrorists. We hate them. And then the rich young ruler, who, who meant well, he obeyed all the commandments, he was a good religious guy, but he had this idol in his life he wasn't willing to give up, and he refused to yield and submit to Jesus, and he went away sad, and that made Jesus sad. Or even Judas, 
another example of someone who is reluctant or flat out didn't say yes to the ways of the Lord. Jesus just was not what Judas wanted Messiah to be. And so he exchanged his faith for 30 pieces of silver. But the prophet Isaiah, you see, like many other men and women in the Bible, said yes to the Lord. This is what we saw, what we just read together. We should recognize that he did this in a time of impending doom. Some of us feel like we're living in that time right now, right? But in Isaiah's day in 8th century BC, the wicked Assyrian Empire was bearing down on the northern kingdom Israel because there were two kingdoms at this point, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Assyria was already at the, the doorstep of Israel about to march in and take, thing, take things over, take them into bondage, take them into exile, sure then to move on to the southern kingdom of Judah where Jerusalem was. And so Isaiah is called during this time. And, and, and his people, God's people of this day had all given themselves over to all forms of idolatry and oppression, oppressing the poor, oppressing the outsider and the marginalized. And so Yahweh needed someone to call them to repentance. Lucky him. <laughs> right? To speak the truth of the coming judgment. But also, like any true prophet, because you're not a true prophet unless you do this, you come with a message that's paired, not just with judgment, but with hope. Right? If you will repent, then God will do this. God will deliver you. God will save you. God will fight for you. God will protect you. Things do not have to go the way they're going if you will change your ways. So he needed Isaiah to speak the truth, to share the hope that God would one day restore Jerusalem and fulfill his covenant promises. And little did Isaiah know that actually through this calling, it would simply make the people's hearts hardened and then they would be given over into exile into Assyria and then eventually Babylon. You see, that's the reason for God revealing himself to Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6 verse 8. A passage that most of us are familiar with. If you hear the phrase of the sermon title, here I am, you probably think of this passage. And notice Isaiah's experience of God's holiness in this scene awakens him to his own sin and to the sins of his people. It's very much like the episode where Jesus first reveals himself to the disciples. Remember, he tells them, get in their boat. You're not done fishing. I know you stayed up all night. You didn't catch a thing, but you know, I know where the fish are biting. And they, they go back out, they throw the, throw the nets on the other side of the boat, they catch a lot of fish, and what does Peter do? How does Peter respond? Very similar way to Isaiah. In the presence of holiness and someone who's greater than a man himself, Peter says, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the natural expected response of when you recognize that you are in the presence of holiness. You see God for who he is and you see yourself for who you are. It's a necessary step. One that I would say is countercultural. It's a step that many, many folks are being conditioned in our culture not to, not to see, not to accept it's the starting place with God, to God for God to get, to get us where he wants us to be. So the angelic messenger then cleanses and anoints Isaiah who recognizes who he is, 
right? He thought the people out there were bad, but in the presence of God, he realizes how bad he is. And it humbles him. And as a symbol of the purification and the forgiveness and the calling of God, the angel takes a coal, puts it to Isaiah's mouth and says, you are cleansed, you are forgiven, you are set apart. Isaiah is set apart to do a God-sized task among a rebellious, hard-hearted, faithless people in a dark time. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? There, there again is that divine court. We could rightfully understand this as the Trinity. And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Not a lot of thought seemed to go into that. Once again, being overwhelmed by the divine presence, the reaction here is to obey. You know, we, we heard that we're in this reading plan of the Gospels, and one of the things you've probably encountered, especially in the book of Matthew, remember Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus goes up to him, taking taxes, exploiting his people, a Jew working for the empire, the most hated guy, you know, in, in that world for Jews. And Jesus says, follow me. It doesn't say there's any questions. I mean, if I, if I was Matthew, I'd be like, who are you, you talking to me? <laughs> but it just says he stopped immediately what he was doing and, he, and he, he obeyed. He submitted to the Lord. He just followed. So notice this kind of response. Of course, Isaiah, when he responds with here I am, we should know that he wasn't the first to use this phrase of yielding and submitting and surrendering to the Lord. Hey, here I found seven different places in the scriptures where we see this phrase used with characters like Abraham. We saw Abraham's story, a little of that story last Sunday with Abraham and Isaac and what God was doing with that sort of testing. Twice we see Abraham use this phrase in his immediate response to God. God says, Abraham, he says, here I am. I mean, there is, there is a man who's ready to obey. Not say, what is it this time, Lord? <laughs> and then Jacob Jacob once in a dream when he was young and, and then a, in a vision late in life. Remember, Jacob is one who wrestled with God. This is what faith is all about, wrestling with God sometimes. And then Moses, here I am, was his response to God's voice at the burning bush before he received his calling. Samuel, which we saw a couple weeks ago, and his childlike faith response. Remember, he was working in the temple as a young boy, Eli's the priest trying to teach him the priestly ways, thinks it's Eli speaking to him, but realizes, no, it's God. His first response is, here I am. David in Psalm 40, verse six through eight says, here I am, Lord, I desire to do your will. And then again, Isaiah, his response to God's holiness, his own sin and God's calling. And then there's a New Testament example with Ananias. Ananias was a God-fearing Jew who accepted Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. And Ananias is minding his own business north of Israel, doing his thing. And Saul of Tarsus, who is still a persecutor of the early church, followers of the way they refer to themselves. And God speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. He's in this house on this street, and I'm speaking to him right now, and I want you to go to him. 
Now we would all understand, like Ananias does, say, uh, Lord, I'm pretty sure you know this, but that guy's bad news. You want me to go to him? But yet Ananias still says, here I am. He takes a risk, despite what things look like, even though it looks unsafe, and some would say that's a stupid move. Ananias submits to the Lord and he goes. And while he never actually used the phrase, here I am, Jesus perfectly revealed a submissive and surrendered heart, believing that his father would deliver him from death and ultimately vindicate him. We heard these words last week from Matthew 26, verse 42. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was praying all alone because his disciples fell asleep, you'll recall. He said, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, this cup standing for destiny, maybe even God's wrath, Jesus says, nevertheless, your will be done. The Apostle Paul wanted the Philippian Christians to seriously consider this example of Jesus' own surrender. You'll remember some of you this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul quotes an ancient Christian hymn. He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is why Jesus didn't go around saying, guys, don't you get it? I'm God. Fall down and worship me. This isn't Jesus' way. That's not what God is like. And Jesus, again, surrendered over this kind of power and submitted himself to the Father. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. Verse 7, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name of all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, saying there's not a square inch in the universe that isn't going to bow down to Jesus, Paul would have us to, to know. And verse 11, and every tongue that declares that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the heart of this submission is a Savior who submitted himself to the will, to the wonder, to the majesty, to the sovereignty, to the beauty, to the wisdom, to the way of winning of God. You see, because the kingdom of God is upside down to the world. Have you heard that before? We say that around here. Think about this. The first shall be last, the last first. God uses the weak to put those who think they are strong in their place. He wins by dying, not by killing. Jesus comes to us and reveals God not as a conquering king on a war horse, but a humble savior on a donkey and a condemned criminal on a cross. And so it's in keeping with his kingdom that he would raise up those who humble themselves, submit their lives to his loving care, that he would reveal himself and bless those who follow in his footsteps and adopt his attitude. My friends, God's ways are higher. Say that. God's ways are higher. They are higher. They're better. They're better because the Lord knows every possible future as if it were a certainty. <laughs> He's ahead of the game. 
And nothing will ultimately surprise our God. He's the master chess player. He, he can see things that we can't see. And, and two, he's motivated purely and solely out of love for us. Yeah, he's working with broken toys. He's working with broken things. And he's going to make the most out of it. This is our hope and our promise in Romans 8. For all things work together for good for those who love God and are called. But you have to submit to that calling according to his purpose. To give us his very best and help us to deepen our faith within this broken world. That's why we must heed the wisdom that we hear being communicated in Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. And some of you have this on a plaque in your bathroom, probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Church, it's time for us to submit and surrender to God. No more trusting in our own intellect and education. God can certainly use that. He did with the Apostle Paul. That dude was educated. But Paul was also humbled. And Paul was also, he became meek. And he became weak in the eyes of the world. It's time to humble ourselves like that. No more putting our faith in horses and chariots of the world. No more trusting in parties and politicians or their extreme ideologies or doing whatever makes the most economic sense without any concern for what God wants, without ever even asking, God, does this please you? Is this what you want with my life? Is this how you want me to use my checkbook and my banking account? Is this where you want me to work? It looks good. I like the figures. But is that what God wants for you? Are you asking him? This is the kind of church that we need to be as we look around and we survey the landscape, not just of secular culture, but the state of the church today. We want to say no more playing it safe. Rather, it's time to acknowledge that God can provide everything we need if we will ask him, trust him in the big and the small things and seek to live holy lives as carriers of the gospel. This is why we exist this is why he saved us. This is why he set us apart. And with that sort of faith in God, it's time to look around, see the needs that exist and say, not who's going to do something about that, but say, here I am. You see, where there is anger in our homes, here I am where there's anger in our schools, in our school board meetings, we say, here I am. Anger in the workplace, here I am. Where there's inequity and injustice in the marketplace, here I am. Where there's broken relationships and marriages, some of which I myself may be a part of, you say, here I am. Where there's a young person who doesn't want to waste their life, where there's an elderly widow who thinks they have nothing left to give, here I am. Where there's addiction and hopelessness, here I am. You know, I thought about this a little bit. I, I recently did one of those ancestry genealogy things, did the DNA swab, sent it off, waited anxiously for about six weeks found out some of my, my uh, suspicions were confirmed. I'm almost 80% Irish, some Scandinavian in there. Uh, but one I was surprised by, I Iberian, the peninsula, you know, Spain and Portugal. I think that's on my dad's side. I was able to go back to my great, 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 great grandfather. His name was Roland Flowers. 
And somewhere I found it was Reverend Roland. So I'm looking at this genealogy. I was working on it last night. I was piecing it all together. There's amazing what you can find on the internet. Who's been to jail? How many times have you been married? Some crazy stuff. And, and it made me think in the story of my own family, how many of these people, because I don't know, submitted to the Lord. I know my grandfather was called into the ministry, but he didn't go. I had an uncle, he didn't go. And, and you may be here this morning and, and you, you're a part of a genealogy that is a mess full of brokenness and abuse and addiction. And I want you to know this morning that you can say, here I am. I'm going to start a legacy of faith. I'm going to be different. I'm going to believe in the power of God. That we're a church that says, here I am in all of these things, the fear-mongering and name-calling, wherever we see it, here I am. Where there's greed and consumerism and exploitation of creation, we say, here I am. Where there's war and rumors of war, where there's domestic abuse and violence, where there's sexual morality and idolatry, and where there's an untapped well of potential kingdom impact, we are here to say this morning, Lord, here I am, send me. If we'll believe. Church, it's time for us to hear God say, who will go for us? And that we would reply, here I am, Lord. Send me. How is the Lord speaking to you this morning? In your situation in life, the challenges that are before you, How does this message apply? If you need help with that, here are some questions to help us connect some of the dots and open us up to the Spirit. I I want us to reflect on these questions for a moment, and then I'm going to lead us through an embodied prayer together. So prepare yourself for that. You're going to have to move and do things with your hands. Three questions. Number one, what challenges are you experiencing right now Are you being intentional with letting God meet you in them and speak to you? Think about that for a moment. Number two, how do you need to humble yourself before God? What would it look like for you to submit and surrender to Him in your situation or calling? And think like Christ. Through the lens of Jesus, what does submission and yielding to the Lord look like where you're at? Where have you been resisting? Where have you been, Lieutenant Dan, on the mast? Let's have a go, God. <laughs> and you say, you know, he's heard you. <laughs> you shared your authentic feelings. Now let's hear from him. And number three, despite your fears, the risks and the costs, maybe even like Ananias, it looks stupid, Lord, but you could say this morning, here I am, Lord, send me.
Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Lead us in the ways of Jesus, the ways of peace, of mercy, of grace, of freedom. Brothers and sisters, in bringing this message to a close to help us respond and uh, respond as humble disciples of Jesus, I'd like us to close with an embodied prayer and then a moment of silence. I'm going to pray some words and just want you to listen to those words. You can close your eyes if you want. I want you to make this prayer your prayer, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to clench your fists like you're about to fight. Go ahead. I'm not going to make you hit anybody. It's okay. We're Anabaptists, but... Lord, I confess my tendency is to fight for myself, defend myself, to try to make something happen. Now with hands raised in surrender, just raise your hands like this. But I choose to live my life in a posture of surrender. My life is not my own. I surrender everything to you, O oh God. Now with fists held in front of you like this, I confess my natural tendency is to take, is to keep, it is to hold on to. Now turn those hands over and open them up. But I choose, Lord, to open my life to others and to you, to practice patience, to extend grace, to treat others as I desire to be treated. Now with arms crossed like this, I confess my natural tendency is to critique, spectate, stand at a distance, say it's not my problem, and to judge. And now if you would stand with me with open arms spread wide and open hands. Let's do this together. And I choose to be in a posture of embrace. I say to you and others, I make room for you. You are welcome here to see the inexpressible worth in everyone that you have made. And now, church, repeat these words after me. Here I am, Lord. 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 Amen.